Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, Understanding Nonprofit Finance. In today's episode, Allison Kaczynski and Josh Chanany join me to talk about managing the annual audit. Hello, and welcome to The Balance. Our first guest today is my business partner and executive vice president at Brand K Partners, Allison Kaczynski. Welcome, Allison. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Amy. Allison, would you mind telling us a little bit about your role at Brand K? Yeah, sure. So I'm a CPA with 16 years of experience dealing with small businesses and nonprofits. I've been with Brand K now for seven years seven of their eight years. So pretty much since the beginning and I've seen it all. So done things from bookkeeping to financial reporting, to fiscal assessments, to seeing clients through their audits, which I know we're going to talk about today. So kind of uh, soup to nuts. So Allison, over the past seven years, how many audits would you say you've worked through? I don't know, 50? So what, if so what are some complexities that you've seen as part of this process? What's been your general and what's been really your general experience? It's an interesting process and one where I think a lot of our clients get very nervous when they think of audit. They, I think they automatically think of like an IRS audit and the IRS auditor knocking on your door and telling you, you know, you owe them $10,000 for something. But um, these audits are very different. Audits of nonprofits are very different. I think the purpose is very different. So kind of handholding our clients through the process has been very helpful. So I think actually, and we've talked about this at length, and we've also talked about this at length with our next guest, Josh Chanany, who is a partner and an auditor at SACS. Josh, welcome. Hey, Amy. Nice to see you. <laughs> you too. You too. Josh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do? Sure. So Josh Shanani, I'm a partner at Sachs LLP, which is a public accounting firm. We are based out of Parsippany, New Jersey. I do not work for the IRS. I do not work <laughs> for the federal government or any or the state of New Jersey and any of their departments. I've been with Sachs my entire career, 18 years, and I've been working with nonprofits pretty much in this uh, capacity as, as both an auditor and both an advisor and a consultant as well. So, Josh, I think Allison actually made a really good point. Auditors, like an audit, I've had a lot of clients compare it to a, going through a root canal or like having a tooth pulled or like just an absolutely terrible experience. So I feel like you must walk in the door and people must throw things at you. So the good news for us is that we're still not considered as horrible people as, as lawyers. So we at least have that working for us. But, uh, you know, it can be intense, you know, for for those who have never had it before. There's certainly a, a level of anxiety that they face. And for those who have been through it a hundred times, there's a level of anxiety that they face as well. So, you know, whether it's your first time or your 20th time, you know, there's there's always things that are new to the accounting profession. There's always changes. And it's it's hard enough to keep the books and records straight, but also having this, you know, overall uneasiness as to what the changes are happening today and the changes that are coming down the road. So there's complexities on the accounting side and there's complexity on the funding side, right? Because as we know, not-for-profits receive money from 
so many different directions, right? Individuals, foundations, corporations, government agencies, each with their own set of rules as to how you're supposed to account for the money. So it's very challenging. I actually had a call yesterday with a potential new client that was about to be audited for the first time. And this man is like up at night losing sleep because he's saying that, oh my goodness, I can't find three receipts that they asked for. I can't find a copy of the check. And I know this is a common anxiety. Can can you just talk maybe a little bit about that? So especially in, you know, you, you think about the environment we're in today and the COVID environment and, you know, for the last 18 months, you have people who have been working, a lot of which was remote, you know, some hybrid, some, you know, were fully in the office. I mean, there's going to be a margin of error, right? And, and I think that's expected with any client, whether that's for-profit or not-for-profit. When we do what we do, we're not going to look at every every transaction. In the end, we're we're most concerned about whether or not the numbers as they're presented are materially misstated, right? We use this concept of materiality. Materiality meaning that if a number or transaction were omitted from from the financial statements, it would change the reader's overall opinion. What happens is is look, if you can't find certain things, it happens. The auditor, you know should be able to make additional selections and, you know, hopefully you have all the support there for those transactions or you find alternative measures, right? You can't find the check, you call the bank, you go to the bank statement and show that that check cleared for that amount. Or if you can't find an invoice, you can always call the vendor and say, hey, I misplaced this, can you send me another copy? So, you know, look, if you can't, if you can't find it, it's not the end of the world. You just do the best you can to either try to replace it with something maybe a little bit different, or you say to the order to look, I can't find it, you know, make some additional selections and I'll, I'll be able to prove to you that this is really an isolated incident, you know? So we often get called in with, with a new client and sometimes their books are not in the best shape. So what I'll do first is look at their last year's audit and make sure the books tie out. So that's a really important thing when you're preparing for an audit is to make sure that the previous year ties to that audit. At least you're then on the same starting page. If that doesn't match, then, then you're in trouble. Okay. I'm a balance sheet person. So when preparing for an audit, I say balance sheet, balance sheet, balance sheet, which... I guess in the nonprofit world, it should be statement of financial position officially. So one of the things we do and we help our clients do is anything on your statement of financial position, you want to make sure you can either prove it, prove the number or tie it out with a schedule. I remember learning early on in my accounting classes that if you if you have an accurate balance sheet and you feel good about your balance sheet, then you can feel good about everything else. Allison, you and I talk about this all the time where it's like, it's not black and white. It is gray. Can you walk us through maybe some examples of like, what, well, what does that even mean? It's not black and white. Like there are accounting rules and therefore it should be very black and white. Um, but w- why isn't that the case? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, some examples, like we, I just went through an audit with a client and we had, our information prepared. It was very organized and the auditor 
really didn't choose any samples. And then I've been through audits where, you know, it takes us a week to gather the samples because the auditor chose so many. So, because it's the, the auditor is the one giving their opinion. So, correct. You know, look, we all follow different audit methodologies. Even though the accounting principles are the same and uniform across, we we all we all have different audit tools that we follow when we do audits. And also, too, there may be you know some auditors out there who really get more of that warm, fuzzy feeling by trying to confirm as many balances, many activities with third parties as possible in lieu of performing samples and looking at original source documentation. So some of that could be risk and experience, right? If you've worked with a client for many, many years, never that somebody should become complacent, but certainly, you know, people have a good feeling as to how things operate, kind of where they know they're going to encounter issues because it's usually, you know, every year it's it's the same kind of thing. So you kind of tailor your approach to, to know where the, the bodies may lie. We go through a risk assessment when we do our audits. We know what the high-risk areas are. We have to keep it in mind is who are the end users of these financial statements? Because we work with some organizations where it's just the board and the boards are the only one relying. And some it's it's the board and it's a bank because maybe there's debt, right? And the bank looks at different measures maybe than the board. And then, you know, once you bring in funding sources, you layer a whole nother level of complexity, right? Whether it's government agencies or it's foundations or individuals. So, you know, depending on who's looking at the financial statements and where they go, you know, it may change your fuzzy feeling as to how you approach an audit. Now, we've had examples, and Allison and I have had examples through the years where I will literally have... I will have a grant from a foundation that funds half of our clients. And therefore, the grant letters are relatively standard and comparable. And I can take the same grant letter and give it to four different auditors and get four different and distinct opinions as to how I am supposed to record something. And it's It was at a point at one time where we used to have like a list on the wall, like auditor A says this, auditor B says this, and it's crazy. (laughs) Why are you all so crazy? Yes. No, we're definitely all crazy, you know, but I'll I'll say this, you know, we do have standards that we have to adhere to. We do consider risk and materiality with respect to certain transactions and you have some folks who are extremely conservative and go by the letter of the law because there's an overall concern always, especially in today's environment, about being sued if something were to go wrong. We as auditors also go through every three years something that's called a peer review. In order to be able to perform audits, especially in this space, because this is one of the most heavily reviewed areas in a peer review, we actually every three years have to have an out, engage an outside firm to come in and look at our audit process and our audit work papers. And because of that, you have a heightened level of concern when you do this work that somebody's going to look at this. And if somebody picks it up, would they come to the same judgments that you did? And you know, especially in this space, I, I think a lot of times you see people err very much more on the conservative side, knowing that there is so much oversight, whether it's internally from a quality controls perspective, 
from an outsider, from a peer reviews perspective, or look, if you have agencies who get government funding, they also reserve the right to come and look at my work papers as to how I audited that government contract. So, you know, it's more than just the client's eyes many times on the work that we did. I mean, from our vantage point with all of our clients, everyone wants to get the cheapest audit humanly possible. Um, And I think that's one of the big distinguishing factors when choosing an auditor. But there are lots of other things that should be considered when choosing an auditor. I always subscribe to this theory that you get what you pay for, right? So just because it's the cheapest doesn't mean that it's the best. I'd love to say as a fellow accountant that all firms do great work, but that's not the case. You know, when you choose a firm, you want to choose a firm that has a specialization in this area because it is so unique. You need to do a lot of these and have that experience in the nonprofit world to really understand all the pieces and how they move and what the end result is. And, you know, Allison, to your your point, what you just said is that it certainly provides a level of comfort, a level of comfort to the board, a level of comfort to the funding sources, to a bank, right? Especially those who are relying on these numbers. You know, from a board standpoint, they want to know that somebody is, someone else is looking at what's being done. All right. So what, from a process perspective. I think there's like a fear of the unknown. So to a new organization that's going to be audited for the first time, what specifically happens in the month leading up to the audit? So it's the end of your year. You're closing out your books. Again, I go back to the balance sheet. That's where I would always start. So just a very simple example of that. If you're looking at your balance sheet or your statement of financial position, usually the first thing on there is your bank account. So you want to make sure your bank account is reconciled. You want to take your bank statement and compare it to your books and not only look at things that have cleared the bank, but things on your books that have not cleared the bank, because that could indicate something maybe if you have a deposit on your books that's been there for two months, but you never see it on your bank statement, that might indicate that somebody left the checks in the desk drawer and forgot to actually go to the bank and deposit them. Like I said earlier, go through your statement of financial position, make sure you understand everything. If you can get third-party backup, like a bank statement or an investment statement, get that, have that saved. Like Josh was saying earlier, revenue is an area of, of focus because there are a lot of different types of revenue and there's some gray areas in how you record them. So Usually when you're recording revenue, say you get a a big new grant, you might want to attach the grant letter to your entry on your books. If you're using something like QuickBooks or pretty much any financial system, you know, when you're making that entry, attach the letter right there. So then when your auditor asks you, what was this for? You can pull up the grant letter or or if if the auditor even has access to the books, they'll see the attachment. They could read the grant letter and make a determination. I also, if there's anything that you think is in a gray area, I, I would encourage people to, to reach out to their auditors before the audit starts. Yep. We do that all the time. And Josh, like the month before the audit starts, roughly, you're going to send a whole series of lists to the clients, right? Like we need these 800 things before we can even come (laughs) sit at your office. And then we wonder why everyone hates us. Sorry. We do ask for a lot of things. And that's really to, you know, not only 
not only do the work the way we need to do the work, but also, you know, a lot of the stuff we ask for is to get a better understanding of the organization and how it works and how it functions and the programs that it does, because a lot of what we do as well as consult, you know, and try to help the organization improve, right? A lot of the comments we make are to encourage people at the organization to think differently, challenge the way that they're doing things, maybe maybe encourage them to look at different programs, suspend programs, end programs. And, you know, that that's why we ask for this stuff, right? You know, we're not just asking for it to make people feel feel miserable. This is really a never-ending process, right? And it shouldn't be. Even though the audit really happens at a, in, in most cases, an audit happens at a certain point in time after the end of the year, you know, people can audit all year long. There's nothing that prevents a firm from doing interim testing. So, you know, if you find that it's a tremendous burden, you, know, you can ask the auditor if they would be willing to change some of the procedures to come in on a more frequent basis and kind of spread some, some of that testing out over time. And it actually proves to be what I find to be very effective because it takes some of the work out of what could be, you know, some of our most busy times, you know, for, for me to understand the operations, you got to be in the operations and you got to really be able to see what the client does in action. And the only way to do that is to be there. You know, you can't do that over Zoom. You can't do that in your office. You know, that's my challenge to the entire profession. Well, and I actually think you hit on a really critical point because going back to the whole concept, the way that we kind of kicked this off was everyone's scared of the auditors. It really shouldn't be that way. In a successful relationship, which Josh, I think you have with many of our clients, it's a partnership. And it's, don't get me wrong, you're going to put them through the ringer and you're going to do your due diligence and you're going to appropriately and accurately assess the financial statements. But it, it shouldn't be scary. There should be conversations throughout the year. Like, hey, we have questions on this. As Allison said before, how should we book this? We want to allocate our expenses this way and use this methodology. Does this make sense to you? Because you have lot, you've seen it all. And so there's really lots of valuable feedback and insights that an auditor can provide, many of which you just described. Yeah, I, I agree. Look, part of what we have to be is skeptical, but Having an open and honest relationship, I think, is extremely important, right? Just like how I want you to be open and honest about your business, I can be open and honest about my business. And, you know, when I sit down with executive directors and CFOs, COOs, CEOs, you know, we can communicate about what's working in our business, what's not working. It kind of elevates the relationship to a whole nother level because you're right. We are there to, to do a job. But for the price that we get paid, we better also be bringing some value to the relationship as well. And I think that's really what differentiates an auditor who's there to get the fee and pro provide the financial statement versus really what you said, Amy, is a true partner, which I think in this day and age is what everybody needs. Without question. And I don't, once again, I think, I don't think it's what, and Allison, I don't know if you have thoughts here too, but it's not what we see. The decisions are almost exclusively based on cost. And I see it time and time again, when decisions are based on cost, you're not, the audit really does become a scary, painful process. Um, you should be looking for, you should be looking for a, a partner, a partner who's going to tell it to you like it is, but a, a partner. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think like a firm like Saks, 
you don't just get an audit report with an opinion. You get feedback, you get advice, you get helpful information for the organization make to make improvements where they're needed to a lot of times auditors will help you compare your organization to other organizations in the field, you know, so that information can be really useful. It's it's a lot more than just an opinion on some financial statements. I mean, I think one of the biggest benefits is that you know it's coming every year. So it forces you to stay organized, um, keep your financial records in, in good condition, um, to understand your financials, to also to keep your board informed. I mean, you don't want your audited financials to come out and anyone to be surprised. I think it also, you know, an, an audit report has a lot of footnotes to it. And to me, the footnotes are often more informative than the the numbers themselves. Sometimes I'll just go right to the footnotes. It tells a lot about the organization that you obviously wouldn't get just from looking at numbers. It gives you the ability to really go and benchmark yourself against the competition, right? I think it allows you to really dissect the way that you operate and kind of put it out there in a different fashion and really see how you, you know, see how you stand. I also think that often like auditors who will have present their audit reports to, to the board or the audit committee is very useful. It's, um, Mm. it's something you don't get when you go low budget on your audit. And I find auditors have a, a way of doing it in, in layman's terms. And we speak accounting and finance and sometimes board members or, you know, the the organization's executive director, they don't speak that language. So it's up to the auditor or firms like Brand K to translate and, and help them understand what the numbers actually mean. Right. These are volunteers. Maybe on a board of 15 people, they'll have one finance person and you know, that finance person may not even be an accountant, you know, who works kind of like we do. A lot of board members don't even truly understand what their fiduciary or fiscal responsibility is. Exactly. A lot of organizations I find don't even have directors and officers insurance, right? So, you know, you talk about you talk about risk, right? People are volunteering because they love the cause and, you know, what the organization is doing and the output and the ROI to the community, but they don't necessarily understand the full ramifications of what it is to is to be a board member which is why to be in front of these people and be able to communicate when things are good, but also when things are bad, it paints a much different picture, you know, for them to have somebody from the outside, independent, objective, kind of telling them what's really going on. And I think, you know, it's something we've been doing forever. And I think it's very valuable, tremendously valuable. If, if anything, that's the most valuable piece of the audit is the FaceTime with the board, or the audit committee to really have a conversation about what's going on. And like you said before, Amy, being able to bring that industry knowledge and expertise to the table and say, this is what other people are doing. So I'm going to just ask for one final audit tip from each of you. My number one tip would be, if you know there's an issue, communicate it up front because it's much easier to deal with it that way than on the back end. That's an awesome tip, actually. Yeah. My audit tip would be uh, 
don't be afraid. You know, the audit is, is something you got to go through. No, no one's out to get you. They're not judging you. They're, they're judging the numbers. And it's for everybody's benefit for them to be accurate. This was awesome. Thank you both so much. Really appreciate your time. Yep. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman and Alex Brower. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next week.